0: It's my prayer, as it is always when I come up here, that uh, the things we say this morning are true and from God's word, and that they'll be an encouragement to you and, and help us all to become more like Jesus in our lives and to serve God better with our lives. Now, as I think about the topic of the morning, and I look out at this crowd, I see a lot of people that have been through a lot of stuff over the last year or so. Have you faced any challenges or faced any situations over the last year that you just felt like you could not overcome or just looked very, very challenging? You know, when I look in the crowd, the first thing that comes to mind is facing sickness. Think of all of us, even in the last week, that have had to deal with sickness, with Jacob and Laura dealing with all they had. We've faced loss. We've faced a global pandemic. You know, are we in control of that? Sometimes things happen to us that challenge us. It's not necessarily our fault, but things happen, and we have to deal with those things. We have to deal with those things in a godly way. And it seems like something maybe we can't overcome. However, God provides a way. Sometimes we have great blessings in our lives that are presented to us that God puts before us to do, and those things can be very challenging. I can think of two of those in my life. What a great blessing that God has given this opportunity to me and Katie. However, that is a challenge, isn't it? And almost daily, it feels like I'm not succeeding and doing a good job taking care of that challenge many of us have things like that where God has asked us to do things God's presented us with great opportunities that can glorify him however we are scared of those things sometimes because they're very hard to do it's a challenge you know sometimes we're just overcome by our own temptation or dealing with the results of our own sin don't we it's not always somebody else's fault, is it? Sometimes we've got to look in the mirror and understand this challenge is here because I've made some mistakes. Or this challenge is here, I'm being tempted and I need to overcome. And many times when we face these types of problems, what do we look at? We look at the scripture that we sung about this morning. Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a great comfort that the scriptures give to us. Be strong, it says. Be courageous. Don't be dismayed. Don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel overcome. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is with us. I want to talk about this passage today. I want to talk about being strong and courageous. If you would, turn over to Joshua chapter 1. I would like for you to open your Bibles. I'm going to read out of my Bible this morning. In Joshua chapter 1, we have some longer readings, and uh, I know that uh, my eyes from the back pew wouldn't be able to see them, so... If you would, uh, open up your your analog version to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan thou and all thy people into the land which I do give to them. "'even to the children of Israel. "'Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, "'that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. "'From the wilderness and this Lebanon, "'even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, "'all the land of the Hittites, "'and unto the greatest sea towards the going down of the sun "'shall be your coast. "'There shall not any man be able to stand before thee "'in the days of thy life.' As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and be of good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give to them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Then not from it to the right hand nor to the left thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate herein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, wheresoever thou goest. So notice what he says here. He says those words, be strong and courageous, Three times in that passage, doesn't he? And he follows up be strong, be courageous with an encouragement. So, the first time in verse six, there he says, and this is from the ESV version on the slide here be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore unto their fathers to give them. So, as he's looking at Joshua, and Joshua is given a grave task, a task that can glorify God. One much more challenging than raising twins or many of the things that i face. faced. But he's given this great task to lead God's people to be as Moses. And he needs some encouragement here. And he says, this message here, he says, For you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. He says, God's going to fulfill his promises and provide for his people. He says, I've promised you I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it through you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous because this is going to happen. In verse 7, it says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And he encourages him to meditate on that law and to follow the law. He says, God has given us his word to strengthen and to guide us. He tells Joshua, I'm giving you the word. It's going to guide you. It's going to strengthen you. Be strong and very courageous. You have my word. In verse 9 he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says God is with you and he is leading you. Those are three very encouraging things he gives to Joshua. And Joshua needed to hear all these things. Joshua needed to know that God was going to fulfill his promises to him and provide for his people, to give them that land. Joshua needed to know that God was going to give him the strength to accomplish these things. He needed to know that God was right there with him leading his steps because he had something very challenging ahead of him, didn't he? we just sang about the stormy banks of the Jordan River. His first task as the man to lead God's people is to go with all of God's people across this raging river. Now, could you imagine just looking at that, standing at the edge of the water of the Jordan, and thinking about all the things that your people have been through over the last 40 years? You've lost hundreds of thousands of people as you're wandering in the wilderness. So many have died. You've faced problems because the people were rebellious against God, and also because people have attacked God's people. They've faced so many struggles, and most recently they've lost, and they've had to bury their leader, Moses, who led them through all those things out of... Egypt and and here to the banks of the Jordan they've lost Moses he's got a big struggle ahead of him but God encourages him be strong and courageous however not only does he have to cross this river but then across from that river there's a mountainous terrain and there's a city on the top of that mountain that city's called Jericho and he's to take over this impenetrable city of Jericho something that just could not be done this is modern day uh, so I imagine there probably was a little more water a little more green back in the day but this city was not just a city sitting on a flat plain this was a mountainous place this was a fortress this was something that was hard to be overcome you can see why he would be scared of this task but God knew that he needed encouragement and that he needed to remember God knew that he needed the presence of God there with him And that he needed to remember that God was going to fulfill his promises, that God was leading him, that God was providing for him. He needed to remember those things as he takes this on, as he takes on these challenges. So as he faces this, task number one is to cross the Jordan. Let's read in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Turn over one page probably. Joshua chapter 3. Let's start in verse 5. How are they going to do this? How are they going to cross this Jordan? And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So as he tells the people the plan, he starts out by saying, Sanctify yourself, something amazing is going to happen at the hand of the Lord tomorrow. Be prepared. In verse 6, And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took the ark of the covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day, Will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So God, again, encourages him, saying, Joshua, people after today are going to know that you are my chosen leader. They're going to know that just like I used Moses to take them through, I'm going to use you. In verse eight, it says, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth, passes over before you into Jordan. He says this Ark, and Brother Robert has just, You know, taught us a lot about this ark in previous sermons. This ark of the covenant, this dwelling place of God. He says, this is your strength. He passes it between the people. People, look at this. Remember, God is going to carry you through all these things. He will fulfill his promises. Remember that. Behold, in verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant, the Lord of all earth, passes over before you into Jordan. Verse 12, Now, therefore, Take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon in a heap. So he says as soon as the priest step down into this water, the water's going to stop and it's just going to kind of roll over. It's going to become a heap, it says, as it comes down from the mountains. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as they that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for the Jordan overflowed with all its banks and all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaterin, And those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Couldn't have been any easier. (laughs) What looked like an impossible situation... And God's plan required them to walk across. Can't think of an easier way, can you, to cross a great river? But in his plan, he made his presence known as the ark passed before the people. And as soon as those priests put their feet in the water, that water stopped. The water stood. This is a classical painting of somebody's imagination of this event. But I want you to imagine that heap of water that began You know, sometimes when we talk about the parting of the Red Sea or we talk about instances like this, I kind of think of just the uh, little Oklahoma rivers that I'm used to, which really river is a a loose term. (laughs) And I think about those creeks and, you know, how much it would take just to dam up a little bit of a creek and think about the water gently flowing away and then walking on the ground. That's not what this was like. It was a heap of water. It says that water, as it came rushing down, it came down and where that ark was standing with the priests, that water rolled up in a heap. Shop. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine seeing that water roll away? Now, I went to um, Atlanta a couple of years ago, and I went to the aquarium there, and it was amazing. And, and the definitely the best event was this right here. This is actually the largest tank at the aquarium, and that's a, a whale shark in there. And it's kind of in an auditorium. And as you walk into that room, my first instinct was kind of to be afraid. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I'm not used to seeing water from that angle. (laughs) And whenever I walk in, I take comfort in knowing there had to have been a lot of licensed engineers that designed this glass to keep me safe right now. There had to have been a lot of thought and a lot of effort to make sure that this was safe, to hold back all that water. You know, really, this kind of pales in comparison. Imagine that river rushing down and hitting and rolling up in a heap just a wall of water. And as you're walking by, what do you see? You see a wall of water, and in front of it, you see the Ark of the Covenant and God's priests. They're standing there, and that water is not passing. You are passing on dry ground. They saw the Ark standing there, stopping that water as they walked by. What would you be thinking about? I wouldn't be thinking about the glass. I would be thinking about the Ark, wouldn't you? I would think about the power that God has to restrain these waters. God's presence being there with the Ark, keeping those waters away, and God's people pass by safely. And Joshua chapter 4 verse 18, and it came to pass when the priests that bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up onto dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. As soon as the feet of those priests stepped onto dry land onto the shore, the water just went back to normal. Now notice again, they talk about this being at the harvest time. This is This is not a natural phenomenon that may have just happened. He says, this is at the harvest time when the river is at its mightiest and at its widest. This has happened. And as soon as those priests come out, the water goes back to normal. Let it not be mistaken. That was the work of God. And as that ark was lifted out of the water, it returned to normal. And God's people passed safely on dry ground. That's great. Surely they were encouraged. But as they get on the other side, what do they see? They still have a mountain range and a city before them. They still have to face those things. They have the walls of Jericho that they must overcome. And Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 6, you can follow along in your Bibles. I also have that one up here. Joshua 6, verse 6, And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on, and compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord, and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. So as they faced this city, God has told them, you need to walk around this city with the ark, with these trumpets, with these weapons, and this way, you need to walk around. They're told to walk around... 13 times in total, and 13 times that ark and all the people following went around that city. And in Joshua 6, verse 20, says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Again, the ark of the covenant, God's presence amongst his people, is walked around those walls, and as those people shout, following God's commands, and as God directed, the walls of that great city fall flat down, and the city is theirs. What a miracle! Is, let it be known that God's presence was there. Are those things impossible to do? Well, they're impossible for us to do, but God can do them, and God did do those things. He did those things for His people because. He's going to fulfill his promises to his people. He is leading his people, and he's going to provide a way for God's people. Let that be known among the people of Israel. Now, when we think about this Ark of the Covenant, you know, what was so special about this Ark? Did this Ark have you know, supernatural powers, or what was so significant about the Ark? You know, Brother Robert told us about how the Ark was made, and how it was covered, and, and all those things like that. But really, this Ark was not in and of itself, powerful. The power of this ark is what it symbolized. This ark symbolized the presence of God. Between those angels was the very seed of God. And not only was it the seed of God, but the ark also contained things that reminded the people of God. It contained very important things. God told them what they needed to put inside that ark. God told them that because he wanted his people to look at the ark and know this is my presence and these are the things that they need to remember about me. What did God put in the ark? What did he ask his people to put in the ark? Do you remember? Do you remember the three things that were in that ark? I think we all probably remember the first one. But let's, re- let's look in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Behold, the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense. and was the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, In which was a golden urn holding the manna, an Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So he talks about three things there that were inside of the ark. He talks about the stone tablets, and those are what we know as the tablets that Moses would have gotten Mount Horeb, the the tablet or Mount Sinai, the tablets that um, were the Ten Commandments on those. We also see that they had manna from heaven in there. And we remember the story about the manna from heaven and Aaron's budded staff. So what is the significance of these three things? God put three things in there for a reason. What did he want the people to remember? First, let's look at the two stone tablets. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 21, it says, And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. So he told Moses when he's giving him these commandments, I want you to put these tablets in the ark. I want you to put them in there. What do those tablets stay? We remember the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. The about those first four things was really talk about a focus on loving God and service to God. We need to know that we need to love God and to serve him and him only. And then they continue, starting in number five, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. The rest of these focused on loving others. Can you say that you love your neighbor if you're doing these things against them? Can you say you love God's people or that you love your family if you're committing these things against those? You know, God was sending a message. You need to love God and you need to serve him and him only. And you also need to love your fellow man. Follow these things. Follow these words of God. So when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, we see that God's word was a part of that Ark, wasn't it? That God's word dwelled within that Ark. God's word, we remember, was also something that he reminded Joshua of, wasn't it? He reminded Joshua that God has given his word to strengthen and to guide him. He told Joshua that when we said, be strong and be courageous because you have this guidance of God. We have God's word to guide us. And and the second thing that we had in there was manna, the manna from heaven. If we remember the story, you know, uh, it's hard to remember the story sometimes because the Israelites grumbled so many times, didn't they? It's kind of a cycle. They grumbled and something happens. They grumbled and something happens. They leave God and they come back to God. They leave God, come back to God. Maybe that sounds familiar. Um, That kind of happens in our heads all the time, doesn't it? We grumble against God. Things change. and. And we grumble some more, but what the people did here is they grumbled about the food they had. And God listened to those grumblings and responded. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 9, again, this is a small one, so if you want to turn over in your Bible, to Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 9, it says, Moses spoke to Aaron, saying to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. He has heard the complaints. In verse 10, And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked up towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the clouds. So God heard this, and he shows up in verse 10. In verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around about the host. And when the dew lay uh, and when the dew that was gone up when the dew that was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, for they wits not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So the Lord offers them this really miraculous meal that comes down from heaven, and they're to gather up this small meal. Well, they say it's like coriander. This small meal that they gathered together, and they didn't know what to call it. They just called it manna. And this was the food that God offered to them. God provided his people with this food to sustain them. You know, sometimes if you're trying to start a diet or something, you look at all the different things. You could eat and it becomes overwhelming. It seems like this was the magic bullet for these people, wasn't it? They had the perfect food sent from God that took care of all of their physical needs. Could you imagine that just being sitting there waiting for you every morning? That would be amazing. God did that for his people. In Exodus chapter 16, a little further down in verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt and Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. So as he says, he placed it before the testimony, He's talking about you put it inside the ark there before those stone tablets of God. He was commanded to honor those things, to gather those things up that the people would remember what God did for them. So not only do the people need to remember God's law when they look at the Ark of the Covenant, but they were also to remember God's provision. When their people murmured in the wilderness, we don't have food, we don't have what we need, God literally let it rain down from heaven exactly what they needed. And he captured that in a jar, put it in that Ark, so when the people walked by that Ark, they would see the presence of God, and they would know that God's law is in there, and God's law needs to be remembered. They would know that this manna from heaven was in there and that God provides for his people. I remember when God provided for us as they walk across that ark. What was the next thing that was in there? Aaron's staff. Now this is a a less uh, glamorous portion of the history of God's people, isn't it? When we think about the story behind Aaron's staff, grumblings once again began, mostly among Korah and his people. And Korah was not satisfied that Aaron's son should be the priests, these high priests. But I don't want Aaron to be my high priest. He wasn't happy with God's choice and who God chose to do that job. He wasn't happy with it. So what did he do? He said, "Well, I look. I think I could do that. I think I could take some of the burden off. I think I could do some of those things." And he questioned God's authority as God had selected Aaron as that leader. In Numbers chapter sixteen, verse eight, we see what Moses did about this at the direction of God and. Numbers chapter 16, and starting verse 8, And Moses said unto Korah, Hear, I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, and to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren and the sons of Levi with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. So he's saying, I've given you a task to do. It's an honorable task to do, and you're not happy with it, and you want more? Seek ye the priesthood, too? You want to take over Aaron's job, too? Is that not good enough for you? In verse 11, it says, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Moses said, God has done this for you. He's given you things to do, and you, it's just not good enough for you. And you want to take on the priesthood. To, he says, you know what? What has Aaron done to deserve this? Aaron's not done anything wrong, but God is going to answer this question. So God told them to select 12 rods, one for each tribe, and they set that forth in the tent. And on one side of the Levite rod, he specifically wrote the name Aaron out. Let there be no mistake, this is Aaron's rod. He wrote out the name of Aaron, and they set them out, and they said whatever rod had budded the next day, that was God's choice as priest. In Numbers chapter 17, verse 8, on the, day, on the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. Don't be confused. It's nothing close. That one is the one that is budded, and it has Aaron's name on the side. In verse 9, Then Moses brought out all the staff from before the Lord and unto the people of Israel, and they looked and each man at his staff, and the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me lest they die. What does he say again? He says, take that staff, put it before the testimony, again, before the laws of God there in the Ark of the Covenant. Put it before the testimony and let them remember what happens when people... Don't agree with the leader that God has chosen. When they try to rebel against the plan and the leadership that God has set forth, let them remember. You know, if you scroll down further in Numbers 17, verse 31, you see things did not end well for Korah, did they? We see that Korah and all his house were destroyed. They had nothing left. It was completely and utterly destroyed because they challenged God's choices. You know, God always picks the right leader, doesn't he? And as those people were crossing the Jordan and as they were marching around the walls of Jericho, do you think maybe some people felt some hesitancy? (laughs) It might be kind of scary. But as they walk out there, they look at the ark, they remember. Not only do they remember that God's law must be followed. God's way must be followed. They remember that God always provides for his people. He's going to fulfill his promises. And they also remember that God has chosen the right leader. And in that moment, he had chosen Joshua, hadn't he? And remember that God told Joshua, after this happens, they are going to know that you are the leader that I've selected. You have just as much authority as Moses had. You have the power of God to lead God's people. He said they will know that. So imagine you're walking across that river. Imagine you're walking around those walls of Jericho. And as that Ark of the Covenant is right there, and if you walk past that, imagine what you would think. You would think of the power of God. Truly God is here to make this happen. You would remember that God's law is in there, that he, his, the manna was in there. You would remember that the rod was in there, and you would know what that stood for. You would know that God, his law stands, that he provides for you, and that he has provided a leader for you, and that encouraged them to make those things. That encouraged them to walk across that river. That encouraged them to go into the land, to march around the walls of Jericho, to do something that seems ridiculous and completely unrelated that actually fulfills what God has asked for them to do and the promises that God has given to them. God has given us his word to strengthen and guide us. He's going to fulfill his promises to us, and he's going to lead us. Now, as we think about our own struggles, we think about the river that lays before us, we think about our own problems. And we talked about the illnesses, the things, the opportunities that are challenging. We talk about the sin and the struggle we have with sin. As we approach those things, how are we to be strong and courageous? What encourages us? We don't have the Ark of the Covenant here this morning, do we? We don't know where it is. You can watch, uh, it was mentioned before, there are some movies about that. I don't think they found it either. No one has found the Ark. It was a symbol made for God's people to remember at that time. But we don't have this Ark anymore. Where does our encouragement come from? In Hebrews chapter nine, verse eleven, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, even though the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He talks about Christ going into that holiest of holies. He says Christ is not there to offer the blood of bulls and goats on the altar on the the mercy seat there of the Ark of the Covenant. He is not there to do that, but God, through Jesus Christ, sacrificed his own blood, it says, securing eternal redemption. You know, Jesus is a fulfillment of all those things that we see in the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God with us today. Jesus fulfills all those things, but in a much better way, doesn't he? Jesus fulfills all those things. We don't have this Ark before us. We don't have stone tablets, manna and Aaron's rod but we have the cross. We have the cross before us. We have the blood that came off of that cross from the side of Jesus, from his hands, from his feet, from his head. We have that blood of Jesus that cleanses us. We've been clothed in Jesus, haven't we? We have Jesus. Certainly still, God's word God's provision and God's leadership can be seen in the cross. And first of all, because Jesus is the word. Jesus is not two tablets of stone. He's much better than two tablets of stone. He is the word itself. We can read in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Skipping to verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. In verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How much better is it to have grace and truth than to have ten rules? How much more amazing is that? And I know that those two tablets um, really symbolize the entirety of the law, but how much better is it to know that through Jesus Christ we have grace? So whenever we make a mistake from those, those things we know we're supposed to do, we have grace that covers our sin. And also we have truth. We have full truth that comes from God. Jesus achieved that. Jesus is the word that we draw our encouragement from. In John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day, for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that this that his commandment is life everlasting. Whoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus said, this is not just coming from me, a man. He says, this is God's word. This is the word of God, the father. He has given me this power. He has given me this commandment and everything I should speak comes from him. I know his commandment, what does it say? goes to life everlasting, an everlasting truth that comes from God. That's what we've been given through Jesus. And without him, we don't have hope. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Did Jesus change the story entirely? <laughs> we read those 10 commandments, didn't we? And it talked about loving God and serving him first and talked about loving people. Well, what does Jesus say is most important? He says, first of all, we've got to love God and we've got to serve him, don't we? We've got to serve our God and we serve him out of our love for him. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to serve our fellow man, to love our fellow man. The story is the same. The encouragement and the direction is the same. Jesus is the word. He is there. And we need the word to guide us, don't we? And if we heed those words, God is with us. He's with us through Jesus Christ. He's with us through the blood that has washed our sins away through Christ that dwells in us in our actions each day. We show Jesus Christ. We show this. We show his word. God has given us his word to strengthen and to guide us just as he encouraged Joshua there when he said, be strong and courageous, just as he encouraged his people as they crossed that river and just as he encouraged those people as they walked around the walls of Jericho. Not only is Jesus the word, but Jesus is also the bread of life. He's not that manna from heaven in a little jar, one omer's worth, but he is the very bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believed on me shall never thirst. I was pretty hyped on the idea of the manna, but this is even better, isn't it? This is not bread that's going to keep our physical body alive. He says, "He is the bread of life. That if you come to Him, you're never hunger and you will never thirst." He's talking about everlasting life here. Jesus is the bread that leads to everlasting life. Without Jesus, we don't have everlasting life. Continuing in verse forty-seven, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead." He said, "Your, your, your." Descendants, they had that manna, but guess what? They're still dead, aren't they? He says, that's not what I'm talking about. Verse 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He is talking about eternal life here. He is the bread that gives eternal life. We know this. This is Jesus and Jesus alone. Think about somebody who had to cross a bunch of rivers. <laughs> when we think about Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we skip down a little more in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Doesn't that sound kind of familiar? The people, when they needed that manna from heaven, what were they doing? They were murmuring, weren't they? No, we're not to be a murmuring people. That's something that God does not want us to do. But God certainly hears when we bring him our concerns, doesn't he? He hears our prayers. And when we come to him in prayer and supplication and and thanksgiving to God, he says, let your requests be made known to him. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is going to guard us through Christ Jesus. He's going to take care of those needs. He provides us eternal life and he cares for our souls here as we're on earth as well. Jesus provides all we need. We can truly overcome any river, take down any city um, in the figurative sense uh, through him who strengthens me. We can overcome anything that our heart is trying to overcome through Jesus. God is going to fulfill his promises and he has fulfilled his promises through the gift of Jesus and provided for his people, hasn't he? So much better than the manna from heaven. And lastly, Jesus is not Aaron. Jesus is not that budded rod that's selected from God. But Jesus is the ultimate high priest, isn't he? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that helps, but he that helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He's encountered all those temptations we have. He remained sinless. He sacrificed himself himself on that altar, he sacrificed himself and gave his perfect blood. But we don't have to make continual sacrifice. We had the perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. He has made propitiation for us, and he has made it right, hasn't he? Jesus has done that for us. Did God choose the right leader when he chose Jesus? And people, Cora questioned, is Aaron really the right leader here? Do people ever question, is Jesus really the right leader? You know, in our minds, I don't think we ever really do that, do we? We say, oh, well, I know that Jesus is is right, but so many times we make ourselves the leader, don't we? When we know what God has asked us to do, and we say, I understand that God wants me to do this, but I think in this situation I better do this other thing instead, shouldn't I? We do that all the time. We make ourselves the leader. We find ourselves in rebellion to God. But let it be known if you're facing a problem and you want to overcome those things, Jesus is going to be your leader. He's the only one that's going to lead you through those things. In Ephesians chapter one, which is body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is not just the high priest, but he is the king, isn't he? Jesus is the leader of our life. Jesus leads the direction we take our lives. Jesus leads our life eternal. Without Jesus, we don't have a life eternal. We need him to lead us. When we're facing problems and we look at the cross, we see God's word, don't we? We see it through Jesus. Jesus is the word. When we look at the cross, when we look at what Jesus has done for us, we see God's provision. He's given us Jesus, the bread of life, provides life everlasting. When we look at the cross and we see God's leadership, we see Jesus as our high priest and king that guides our steps. Think about the encouragement that was given to Joshua as he faced those waters. He was given encouragement that God would fulfill his promises and provide for his people. That God had given us had given him his word and strengthened him to accomplish those things and that God was with him and leading him. Do you think those things are true for you today? It's easy for us to say yes those things are true I've got Jesus but do we live like those things are true today? I encourage you this morning when you face struggles in life when you feel overwhelmed when you feel overcome look to the cross Think about Jesus. Think about these things. Know that God is there with his word to guide us. Know that God is providing for you. Know that God will lead you. He's done all this through his son, Jesus Christ. If you find yourself this morning struggling to overcome, we'd be happy to pray with you that you could focus on Jesus. Look to him. And as you walk through that struggle, you would look at the cross and know that God is with you. God is leading you through those things. And if you have not yet become a Christian, know that without the blood of Jesus, you're not God's chosen people. God's not going to be leading you through the rivers. God's not going to be leading you through all the problems. God's not going to be leading you to eternal life unless you accept Jesus, his son. Unless you've been washed in Jesus' blood. That's not a promise for you. But it's been offered to us all. We can all be washed in his blood. If you find yourself in either case, please come forward as we sing the song of invitation.